seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We will be looking at a more lengthy section than usual, verses 7 through 17. Chosen to approach this section because it forms an inclusio, that is, verse 7 matches with verse 17, and so that which comes between is meant to be understood in light of those two bookends. It's called an inclusio, that which is included in between two ends. And so we start in verse 7 with remember your leaders, and we end verse 17 with obey your leaders. So this really is meant to be taken as a section. I've seen it taken apart, uh, verses uh, on their own out of context, and certainly you could do that to some degree. There are universal or universal biblical truths in them, but they need to be best understood in their literary context, which starts with verse 7 and ends with verse 17. And for this reason, I believe the real crux to this passage is a final exhortation to remember the teaching that you have learned in the book of Hebrews, this Christ-centered sermon, but in particular, you will have leaders who will be teaching this. You'll identify them because they are teaching this and rely upon them for this teaching. Obey what they say. Submit to them in this life. And so that's, that is the gist of what is being spoken in these final words of conclusion in this Christ-centered sermon we call the book of Hebrews. Hear now God's word, Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for this portion of your holy word. Pray, O oh Lord, that of all the things we can learn today from this wonderful passage, that we would again be renewed in our understanding of the roles that you have placed us in, in the church. Some as shepherds to teach and guide and direct concerning Christ and those who are sheep, those who are members, those who are to follow the teaching that you have given. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are renewed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now certainly one of the great uh, reforms of the church of the 16th century was the re turn to this understanding of the priesthood of all believers. That is, every Christian, man, woman, or child, has direct access to God in Christ because of the blood of Christ. He doesn't need a priest to go to. 
doesn't need a human mediator, but rather they have direct access. So the smallest children here, you have the same access to God as I have. That's part of being a priest in light of Christ's work for us. That's a great advantage. That really spawned the whole Reformation and the study of God's word and recognizing that each individual is responsible to read and devour and study and understand the word of God. This is certainly one of the great reforms of the church in the 16th century. My job as an elder or a pastor is not to be your mediator, rather to teach the truth of God's word to you so that you might live as the kings and priests that you are. Now one of the imbalances, though, that we have to recognize and even confess that came from the Reformation is the idea that every believer, though, is equal in their function or their role in the church, or that they have equal aptitude with regard to the word of God. If that were the case, God would not have given special spiritual gifts for some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And so we've kind of flipped and where someone who's only moderately understanding of the word of God now is uh, equal expert, if you will. That's the pendulum swinging. And sometimes we get too smart for ourselves and we're smarter than our leaders and people who've spent their whole life studying it. And, and we go into peril because we go out of the fold, so to speak, and don't follow the shepherd. Well, the book of Hebrews, remember, is a book about not leaving the faith, about staying true to the great over-shepherd Christ. And one of the ways God has given us to persevere in the faith is by giving us faithful leaders and to follow what they teach as it aligns with the word of God revealed. So the approach I want to take this morning is to look at the role of shepherds and the role of sheep as it relates to the great revelation of Jesus Christ and what he means to us, what he's done for us. The great portion of this text, verses 8 through 16, refers to the work of Christ that has already been spoken of in this whole book of Hebrews. It's repetitive in a glorious way about Jesus being our perfect sacrifice and the access we have to God because of this. I want you to see that as the word of God that's spoken and the word of God that is to be maintained and taught by the leadership of the church. But I also want you to gather the importance of your role as members of God's church. My role, even as a pastor of this church, I am still under authority myself. I have people that are my authority and I submit to. So see the word of God now in this light. We see in this text, shepherds, that is elders or pastors, church leaders, have three duties that are basically implied here. They are to feed, they are to lead, and they are to protect. We can see this in 1 Timothy, we can see this in Titus, we can see this in the book of Acts. Their job, our job as shepherds, is to feed, to lead, and to protect the flock. Sheep, on the other hand, and the balance of this is spoken to those members of the church, and we're speaking of you. Your job is to remember or consider your leaders. Discern what they're saying. Obey what they're saying as it aligns with the word of God. Submit to them and support them. Now let's look at the passage together to see how these roles play out. First, the role of shepherds is identified starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Spoke to you the word of God. That is feeding the sheep. Feeding is the first role of the shepherd. Who are the leaders referred to here in verse 7? Now it says remember, that is look upon or consider your leaders who spoke the word of God, those who spoke to you the word of God. So a leader is one who is teaching the word of God. Now in this case, it could be a direct reference to the apostles. The apostles are still alive. And so they spoke the word of God. That means that when they spoke, God by his inspiration moved them 
human writers along to speak the word of God. Now, I don't speak the word of God to you that way. I take the word of God deposited in the Bible from the apostolic teaching and then proclaim it to you. So we see by extension that speaking the word of God now means opening the word of God to you. So remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And what was the main task that the apostles went about? They wrote scripture, but also in Acts 14.23, a great uh, insight to what their mission was. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. That's the work of the apostles, to appoint elders, plural, in every church. Titus says the same thing. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the apostles speak the word of God. It becomes inscripturated in the Bible. Then the Bible is taught by the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. So the first task of the leadership of the church is to feed the flock, not to stick our proverbial fingers in the air to see what culture is doing or what the latest book is and how to do this or do that. Simply put, it's to teach the word of God first. That's what we do because that's the food that you will grow on. No amount of my wisdom, no amount of my trite sayings, no amount of things that I could tell you, five steps to this or five steps to that, will help you like the Word of God and a diet on the Word of God will over time as you eat and feast upon it. Leaders are to speak the Word of God to the flock. Feed the flock. What was Peter told by Jesus when he reinstituted Peter? Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Three times to match the three times he denied Jesus. And what does he say? Feed my sheep then. Feed them. Tell them what I said. Feed my sheep is what he says to Peter, the apostle, who then is one of the main figures in seeing the gospel go forward and elders appointed in every church. Feed the word of God. In particular, what should we be feeding as shepherds of the church? Well, in summary, we have it in verses 8 through 16, which is another summary of Hebrews, and Hebrews is a summary of the whole Christian faith. Look at verse 8, and you can see what the content of our teaching will be. And we'll consider this again when we look at the role of the sheep. But look briefly now, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, don't come up with novel ideas about Jesus. Isn't that poignant? Don't come up with novel ideas about Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those, who devo who, those devoted to them. So this is talking about what sound teaching would be, and that is upholding the apostolic message about who Jesus is. That's what it's meant by he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What the prophets said leading up to Christ's coming, what the apostles do to interpret Christ's coming, this is who Jesus is. It's preserved by God's word. It's not subject to error. It's something that God has supernaturally preserved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't bring diverse teachings into it. The word of God is your authority. It's your locus of authority. This is what you teach, the word of God. Not what some guy made up or some person thought up. What does the word of God say? That is to be the locus of the church's authority taught by the leadership of the church. Verse 10 and there's a reference in the last part of verse 9 to the dietary system. What this is referring to is an abuse of the Old Testament dietary laws that people built up as a means of grace, that if they ate a certain way and practiced eating a certain way, that there would be some special grace given to them. And this is dispelling that notion again. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. In other words, those who are still serving the tent, that, that is the temple or tabernacle, they still don't get it. They still think they're mediating and 
that's done away with in Christ. And so they can't come. They can't come to Christ as long as they're in their own works or their notion that they are presentable before God. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. What happens ultimately when they commit those sacrifices? They take the bodies of the sacrifices outside of the city and burn them. Remember, that's, that's a vivid picture for them. But verse 12, we see how Jesus fulfills this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In the same way you've been thinking about the sacrificial system and how the sacrifice is taken out and the reproach it bears and just that we don't want to see it, that's what Jesus did for us in our sin. He bore our sin, went outside the city gate. That's where he paid for our, our sins, shed his blood. Christ is the ultimate fulfiller and sacrificer. No more need for an ongoing sacrifice, humanly speaking. Verse 13, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In other words, you're going to bear reproach as a Christian, especially speaking this poignant point to these Hebrews. Go to Christ. Christ can save you. Not the priesthood, not the temple, not angels, not Moses. Christ can save you. Remember, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It is amazing to me how much Christian doctrine and practice is wrapped up in just these few verses, 8 through 16. It's the body of what the leadership should be teaching. It meshes perfectly with the rest of the book of Hebrews and perfectly with the rest of biblical revelation. And so you have in this inclusio, verses 7 through 17, a statement about leadership, a statement about leadership, and what the leader should be teaching and what the sheep should be doing. And it's a perfect conclusion to a wonderful sermon, the book of Hebrews. Feeding is the first obligation and duty of the leadership. But secondly, along with feeding, preaching, teaching is leading. That is actively living out the word of God before the flock. It's not enough for me just to get up here and preach. I've, I live with you. I'm part of you. I'm one of you. Our liturgy sometimes is misunderstood. The reason why we have a, a processional at the beginning is to symbolize that the pastor comes up out of the people. I'm not above the people. I come up from the people for this time of teaching. Then at the end, what happens? I go back down in the people. I live my life with you. We live together as a community. I'm one of you. I lead you by example. It's not always the best example. I struggle like you do. That's part of leading. It's struggling with you. It's being connected with you. I don't believe there is any room whatsoever in Scripture for the idea of professional distance as it relates to the pastor and the flock. I was taught that at some degree. I, by other people told me, never get too close. Make sure that you stay a certain distance. And I grew up in a church uh, where the priest was totally other. And I found that to be one of the most ineffective ways to actually see people grow in the, in the relationship with Christ. What I may give up in formality, because if you know me well enough, other than the robe, I'm not a real formal guy. I think is benefited by the realness we can have with one another about this walk we're on together. Leading is an intimate thing. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Their way of life you cannot know unless you have access to them, your leaders. And this is not just true of me, this is true of the elders of the church. This is why I uh, think it's so important, and we have as a standard to be an elder in our church, that you will lead a home fellowship group. That is, you will have the flock in your home. Uh, because just to get up and pray every Sunday, it, the, the reason why that's so effective is because these are your shepherds who love you. 
And when they're praying for you, they spend a couple hours putting together a prayer in many cases. Because it's for you, faces they know, sheep whom they love. That's part of leading the flock. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Their faith here is referring to the body of that which they believe, that which is true to them. You will see a congruence between what they say and what they do. Now, you will see struggle just like you see struggle in your own life because they're human beings, the leaders of the church. But they are constantly living to try to see their life be more and more in line with what they're teaching themselves. Leading is being real with you, guiding you like a shepherd guides a sheep, sometime in all of its awkwardness. We feed and we lead, and we can only lead by being close with you, by being accessible to you. Finally, we can see here implied protection. Look at verse 17 now. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Look at this duty of the leadership. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Do you see that? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Two important points here. They are keeping watch over you personally, whether you know they're watching or not. In fact, I would submit to you that long after you've forgotten about your day at church, some leader in the church still thinking of you or will have thoughts of you this week about what's going on, what's happening in your life. Long after you put your head in the pillow, some Tuesday nights, especially the first Tuesday night of the month, when you're sleeping, we're still here. And it's not just because we like to meet. It's because we're going over flock care. We're going over what matters to the people in the church in their growth and grace. This is protection, watching over, always constantly analyzing and determining are we being faithful to watch over their souls? Because ultimately, we have to give an account to the great over-shepherd Christ. We're just under-shepherds. And we report to the great over-shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We're to fend off attackers. Now, let me just say that I think when we are faithful in teaching the word of God and leading, that much of the defense and the attacks you'll receive will be lessened because you're equipped. However, there are still cases where there are unknown attackers maybe because you're young in the faith or whatever the reason may be, or you're caught up into some sin or some situation that causes you not to see clearly. That's when it's so important to have leaders that are watching over you and are speaking the truth to you, speaking the truth in love. In fact, the picture of the shepherd is most vivid here. You realize that during the day, the shepherd's job is to feed the sheep and to guide them to more food, keep them together. It's, it's a nurturing. At night, it's very different. Shepherds don't go to sleep. They get them into an area that is safe, and they watch out for animals that the sheep cannot detect. Whether it be wolves or lions in these days or whatever the case may be, the shepherd's job is to not go to sleep while the sheep are sleeping. To watch over them, to protect them in ways that you may never know until heaven. Acts 20, verse 28 through 32 is a, is a grave reminder on the part of Paul as he's leaving a church he loves. He says to the leaders as he leaves, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's speaking to the elders. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
So the leaders of the church of God will work to shepherd the people of God. That means not only feeding and leading, but it means protecting, even when the sheep don't need, know that they need to be protected. There's much we need to be protected from today. And the shepherds are to discipline the flock with love. Dis discipline means disciple them, and sometimes that means it is difficult. Sheep or shepherds are never commended in Scripture for how they pet the sheep. Never. That's not what makes them faithful shepherds. It's protecting and feeding and leading the sheep. These things are implied as you read these closing verses of this wonderful book. But look what is absolutely explicit for the role of the sheep, members of the church. Starting in verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So for you, the person who God's called to be a member of this church and the members of the church of Christ at large, we are first to remember our leaders. And in particular here, the apostolic record that which has been deposited by God's sovereign guidance in the Bible and that which has been spoken by the original leaders and now upheld by current leaders, remember them. Consider not only what they spoke, but their way of living. It's right for you to consider the lives of your leaders and see how it is that they are attempting in their life to mesh what they teach and what they preach with what they live. That is right, and for us leaders, we should expect that of the sheep. That's what they do. They're to look to our leadership, to remember, to consider or recall what we have spoken in the word of God and how we've lived it. I don't mean be scrutinizing and to see how they trip up. Because if you want to do that, we'll trip up. That's not a problem. The issue is that you are trying to grow in grace, and God has ordained one means by giving you faithful leaders. And so by watching those leaders, even in their falls, how do they handle those falls? How do they handle their faults, their shortcomings? Those are ways in which you learn God's grace as well. Remember and consider the outcome of their way of life. I lived with my mentor for a summer. Uh, as a young person, I came to faith in Christ, and then the most influential person was Pastor Ben. Some of you met. He was at our men's retreat a couple years ago. Uh, he took me uh, as, a, as, if you will, an understudy that didn't deserve his attention, but he spent a lot of time with me personally, loved me, cared for me, upheld me, taught me. Uh, but the most powerful time I ever had with him was after my junior year of college. Before my senior year, I did a summer internship at his church, and I lived with his family. And uh, he has three children. His wife, uh, wonderful, wonderful woman of God. I got to live with them and see everything. Uh, and I got to see how it was. And he just lived his life before me. For all the things Pastor Ben taught and preached, I can only remember a few particular points from sermons. But I remember almost every, something eventful from every week living in his house with him and his family. And even since then, his wife has battled cancer three times. He's now currently over in Iraq. Uh, as, a, as a chaplain, and just watching his life, his kids have had major ups and downs, watching this process and how he has reacted to it has been huge in my own spiritual development. Remember your leaders. But also, we are to discern. I don't want anyone here to get the idea that you just listen to what Tony says or the elders say just because they're elders. In fact, what we understand from Scripture and is so valuable to us is that the authority we have is only because of the Word of God and our faithfulness to it. Not because of a position I hold. It's based on faithfulness to the word of God. When I'm unfaithful to the word of God, then there needs to be a process to correct me. And we have that process in our church. But in general, recognize this fact that you are to discern when you hear teaching, is it Christ-centered? Let me just warn you, there is a lot of teaching out there today that's not necessarily anti-Christian. But it's not necessarily Christian either. It's just feel-goodism. It's, it's not Christ-centered. Christ is barely mentioned. It's more or less about feeling positive about yourself and your life and how you can be successful. And you shouldn't be negative. And when you're negative, things don't go well for you. That's not Christian. Okay? 
That's, that's not Christian. That's just, that's just blather. That's just talking. Christ-centeredness is how you determine whether or not something is valid or something is credible if it's biblical. Is it Christ-centered? In other words, is the message what verse 8 and verse 9 says? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. By the way, the reason why I haven't done a six-week sermon series on the Da Vinci Code is because I'm confident that any six-year-old in this church should be able to realize the complete idiocy of that whole book and work. I mean, at page 235 of the book, he makes a statement where he says, everything the church fathers has taught us has been proven to be false. Thanks, Dan, for your, your insight on this. So he's telling us that we should listen to, not listen to the whole council of Nicaea or all of church history that happened for 1,400 years before because some character he made up found some record from some Frenchman. That's diverse and strange teachings, and I hope you as the people of God are more strengthened when you see stuff like this come on than worried about it. And anyone's anxious about this thing, really, that's an indictment on where we are as a church. Because this, th this stuff is so far-fetched and so easy for even the youngest person to defend. And it says very clearly here for us, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. I, I laughed when I read this part where, it's, where this priest is talking in the book and says, yes, the, the Council of Nicaea voted to make Jesus the Son of God. And it was a close vote at, at that. Do you realize it was 218 to 2? That's what the vote was. And it wasn't to make him the Son of God. It was simply to interpret correctly what the Word of God already revealed. 218 to 2. But it's supposed to be historical fact. Please, that seems so simple. Don't be worried about this, brothers and sisters. This is not something to fret. It will come and go. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Discern. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. What is meant here? It's Christ-centered preaching. What that means is teachers and leaders should be Christ-centered in their teaching and preaching. How do we know? If they say Christ is sufficient, that's grace. The table represents Christ's sufficiency before God. Not what I do, not what I eat, not what I say, not what church I'm a member of. Those things may have importance at some level, but not for salvation. And it's all about Christ. And if someone says Christ is a sufficient one, it's his work, that's how you know that he is being accurate or she is being accurate with what she's saying or he's saying. Christ-centeredness. That's the first litmus test of accurate teaching. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The things taught in Hebrews are what they have, have, have always been true about Christ. When you hear something that's diverse from it, be discerning and recognize it's false. Or it could simply be subpar. It's not enough. It's not enough pointing to Christ. So the role of the sheep, to remember leaders, to discern also what they say, and to imitate as well. Verse 7 says, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. We've alluded to this already. I'll say it once again. Emulate the faith of those who God has placed over you in leadership. What it is they believe and how it works itself out in their life. Imitate. This is an important part of the life of the sheep. It says Paul himself Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we're pointing the sheep to do. There's more, though. Two words that come together in verse 17. Obey and submit. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Heed what your leaders say. To obey means to heed or follow or practice the teaching you have received. Do it. Just do it. Not just some of it. If your leaders say it's important, follow it, obey it. It's for your good. It's not because they somehow are doing something that would 
make them feel good because they put a restriction on you or, or had some kind of control over you. Yes, I'm sure there's corrupt leadership and we all have corruption in us. But I could tell you that at large, I know especially for our own particular body and the accountability we have, we've never made decisions that weren't meant anyways to be guiding the sheep into a greater growth and grace. Not because we're trying to make someone's life harder or put some noose on you or some chain around your leg. Obey, heed the leader's warnings. And you could think of so many times, even as a parent, and I don't mean to compare children and parents the same way with shepherds and sheep, but you understand when you see your children are at a stage in their life, for whatever reason, something comes on, emotions, uh, growth, all the things that happen, and they can't see clearly for that moment, and they so badly want to disobey you. And you have this battle, this moment of truth. Will they listen? And you know the reason why it's important that they listen is because the road they can go down if they don't, if they don't follow at this front level. So much of pastoral shepherding ministry is like this, where someone comes to you, they already have all the, all the different contingencies thought out. And you tell them, but brother, this is a basic principle here that you're going to violate if you do this. Don't do it. I would just say to you, brothers and sisters, don't do it then. If your leaders say it, don't do it. Or if they say, do this, don't just take it as advice or, oh, that's a good idea, pastor, maybe I'll get it. Do what they're saying. There's reason behind what they're saying. Submit. In verse 17, right alongside obey, it's a touch different in its nuance. Obey is simply meet and follow the commands. But submit has more to do with your attitude or your demeanor before the leaders. Maintain a humble, responsive attitude. In other words, you believe God has appointed them. You believe they take seriously that they will answer to God for your soul. You believe that they love you and care for you and know the word of God. It would not give you commands or rules or things that would steep legalism on you, but rather will help you grow in grace. So because you believe this, you then will have a demeanor that's responsive to them. You want to hear what they say because you know they care for you. You know that even if it doesn't uh, strike you right at first or there's something that is against what your plan was, that when they say it, they say it out of love and maybe you should stop and think about it. Maybe there's a reason. Have a submissive attitude to practice a demeanor of receptivity towards what someone is saying. To yield or give way to an idea. That's what being submissive is. View your leaders like this. Remember the calling of a shepherd. They're watching out for your soul. Finally, verse 17 says, we are to support them in so many words. Look what it says, the very last phrase. Let them do this. Do what? Teach, lead, protect. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me just say very, very candidly to you, it, there are hardly greater joys in life than to watch some teaching that God has allowed you to do as a shepherd or some faithfulness to the word of God that God has allowed have effect in someone's life. See them follow it. See them be changed. See marriages be renewed. Personal faith restored. Uh, communities change. Reconciliation happen. There is no greater joy in the life of a pastor or shepherds than to see this. And so when you do these things, you give us great joy, and then it makes us want to serve you better. It's, we want to sacrifice more for you, do more for you, when you react with obedience and submission to what's being said. That's letting us do these things with joy and not with groaning. What's the classic picture of a groaning leader? Moses. Remember Moses? Poor Moses. God, these people you've given me. And he had good reason. I mean, he had complaint committee after complaint committee come and present their problems with the way he was leading. I mean, what else could Moses do than, you know, lead plagues to come in and part the Red Sea and 
strike uh, a rock and all the things that happened through Moses, yet they still led their charges against him. And he just groaned and moaned over what the, the people were doing to him. A complaining, disobedient, unresponsive flock leads to groaning, leads to, to a, a sad, sad shepherd. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I would definitely tell you, brothers and sisters, for the nine years that I've been at Redeemer, my ministry has definitely been uh, characterized with joy, great joy. Yes, obviously, there are always trials that happen among the sheep. That's part of being a shepherd. We understand that. But I can say honestly to you that out of these nine years, joy would definitely be the, the great description I would give of my relationship with you and the way I've seen you really work to apply God's word. And you are no, you're not perfect like I'm not perfect. But I see a genuine effort on the people of this church to really live according to his word, even through all the trials and hardships that come. And they're tough at times. So I thank you for that. But at the same time, I want to compel you to think again about how this demands a daily decision to follow God's word and his appointed leadership. It's not something that just lasts forever on its own. It's constantly worked at, supporting, joyfully encouraging your leaders. I'll close with this final picture on this point. One of my favorite movies is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now, I'm not talking about the new one. The new one's got its good points, but the old one I liked in particular just because the way Gene Wilder played the part. My favorite part was how excited he was at the beginning to show the kids all the stuff that he had. And at the very beginning, when the children were disobedient, because you know that's the basic underlying story, the children disobey what he says, and the first time he really tries to stop this kid from drinking out of the chocolate river and falling in, and he runs up and stops. In fact, in his running, he almost knocks him in. He's trying to, to watch over him and keep him from doing it. Well, with each spoiled kid disobeying, Willy Wonka's spirit and demeanor got less and less by the time where finally the last one, don't stop, come back, he says. Remember that? Just kind of blah. Don't stop. Come back. They had wore him out. I mean, they wore him out. They weren't listening to anything he said. He got to the point, well, you know what, brothers and sisters? I know a lot of pastors that are like that at this point in their life and their career. Even young pastors. Don't stop. They, just, they don't think anyone listens. You know, uh, praise God, that has not been my experience here. I say that genuinely. But recognize that is possible for the people of God to really discourage the shepherds that God has appointed. We both have responsibilities. My prayer is that we would hold each other accountable to these things only for God's glory and according to his word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful role of, sh of shepherds and sheep that you have given, for the gospel message of Jesus being the sufficient one. Keep both these shepherds and these sheep accountable and faithful to the message of Christ alone. I pray, Lord, that we would exemplify this relationship. We know it's imperfect. But, Lord, at the same time, we see that you granted it as an, another means of manifesting your grace. I pray, O oh Lord, that as we come to conclude this book of Hebrews in these next few weeks, that we would not lose sight of this great, great sermon, this great, great message that should continue to typify all the teaching of the church, the great sufficiency of our great high priest, Jesus. Lord, thank you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.